0: I will tell you this morning that as God had begun to work on what was going to happen this morning, this is going to be a morning where the altar will be open and there will be ministry time going on up here, because after the service, there are going to be some who need to walk the aisle, kiss somebody by the hand, and know that they're talking to Jesus. That shouldn't come as a surprise to anyone, because if you're saved this morning, Christ lives in you. Jesus has chosen by the work of the Holy Spirit to take up residence in you and someone walking the aisle to catch your hand will know this morning that they are shaking the hand talking to Jesus himself. From last Sunday to this morning, I have known that this is a healing service. That this is a morning that people's lives will be healed. And God made it very clear through the scripture, through the revelation, through the pictures that he would give me this morning, everything was about healing. So if you're sitting here this morning and your heart is broken, your mind is troubled, you're frustrated, you're anxious, whatever it might be, this is a morning. God has appointed, He's anointed this day for you. Lord, I can tell this morning that the battle lines are already being drawn. I can tell this morning that there are hearts that are already protecting themselves from this message. From those, Lord, who for some strange reason have taken up identity in their brokenness, know themselves only by the broken heart that they have, know themselves only by the difficulty and the, and the drama that's in their life. That's how they know themselves. And Lord, this morning, the battle lines are being drawn because there's a desire to protect myself. How strange it is from even the one who has brought me into this life, healed me, restored me, and saved me. So Lord, I pray that those battle lines would immediately fall before us and the work of the Holy Spirit would just plow. as a picture you give me, just plow through this congregation this morning and touch every heart where there is absolutely no one able to resist the work of the Holy Spirit this morning. If healing is needed, this is the day you're going to bring it. And I pray, Lord, that our hearts now would be ready and open to receive the truth that you have in Jesus' name. I spoke this morning in Bible study about... The Tower of Babel. And the sad commentary of the Tower of Babel was that God had told them that I will never destroy this earth by water again. It was a firm and fixed promise that God had made them. Yet when they began to build the Tower of Babel for all that disobedience that it was, we noticed something peculiar about it, that they not only were firing the brick, but they were covering the brick with slime to make it waterproof why would they be trying to build this tower up into heaven and making it waterproof? What did they remember? They remembered the flood. What were they doing? They were protecting themselves from the very God who gave them life. They were setting themselves against the God who had made them a promise that he would never destroy them by water again. And we talked about that, how strange that seems, but it's exactly what you and I do today. And the fact that God gave us a promise He said, the minute I save you, I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. It's an automatic part of the provision of God, the gift of God that even Jesus received at his baptism. He received the Holy Spirit because it was necessary in his ministry. And God has said, the minute that you're saved, the minute that you accept me, I'm giving you the Holy Spirit. And how strange it is that in our hearts, we set ourselves to protect ourselves against that truth. We protect ourselves against the giving of the Holy Spirit to us. And we do exactly like they did. We congregated together with those people who believed like we did so that we could do a better job of protecting ourselves against the God who said, this is what I'm going to do. Seems odd, doesn't it? But it's very much what they did. I pray this morning that if there's any barriers in your life about receiving what God has this morning, that they would immediately fall before you. And I want them to fall away from you, not towards you, because I want them to come out of a faith and belief that you have that the God who says, I love you, and I want to heal you. I want to restore you. That God means exactly what he says. And because of the faith that rises in you and the desire that rises in you, that the walls and all barriers fall away from you. I don't want somebody to have to plow through and get to you. I want you to be able this morning, out of the faith that you have, to knock the walls down and let God get in. John chapter 9, if you'd go with me there, please. I'm going to begin with verse 1. And as Jesus passed by, he saw a man which was blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, Neither has this man sinned nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night comes when no man can work as long as I am in the world. I'm the light of the world. When he had thus spoken, he spat on the ground and made clay of the spittle, and he anointed the eyes of the blind man with clay, and he said unto him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which is by interpretation sent. He went his way, therefore, and washed and came seeing. The neighbors, therefore, and they which before had seen him that was blind, said, Is not this he that sat and begged. Some said, This is he. Others said, he is like him, but he said, I, I'm he, this is me. Therefore said they unto him, how were your eyes opened? He answered and says, a man that is called Jesus made clay, anointed my eyes and said unto me, go to the pool of Siloam and wash. And I went and washed and I received sight. Then said they unto him, where is he? he and he said, I know not. I want to stop right here and make an editorial comment. Before I continue with The message, and before I continue with this message of healing, I need to stop here. This is really about this body of believers. I want to just bring this one point of general understanding. God chose in His plan, now, this is His plan, this is not my plan, this is not our plan, this is God's plan. He wanted to draw a distinction between Himself and the rest of the world. And he chose to do that by signs and wonders and miracles. God is here. The world is here. In the middle is this person named Jesus. And God said, I want to be very clear that I am different from the world. What I say, what I do, who I am is distinctly different from the world. And he did it wrapped up in this one man named Jesus so that you and I could see something, so that you and I could know something, that the distinction between God and the world as evidenced in Jesus' life was the reality of miracles and the power of the supernatural. Because if we remove the miracles and we remove the supernatural reality of Jesus, what story do we have left? Everything that played out in Jesus' life As acts of obedience to the Father, demonstrating the Father's power, the Father's glory, the Father's love, the Father's kindness and goodness, everything that was played out in Jesus' life was a demonstration of who God was to set him apart from what the world had to offer. We don't really even debate that. We're not confused by that reality. But this will throw you a little... You kind of have to become mentally engaged in this thought to get it. But if God chose, then by Jesus to draw a distinction between Himself and the world in the reality of the supernatural, when Jesus left and God sent us the Holy Spirit, why do you think His expectation is that you and I now in this middle, in the place where Jesus was, Him being fully man? never less than God, never once stepped out of his humanity so that we wouldn't be able to say that he was different. He remained fully human every moment that he was here. 100% depending on the Holy Spirit to bring into reality the supernatural in him, he left so he could send us the Holy Spirit so that you and I could become the supernatural reality of God on this earth so that the world could see the distinction between God and themselves. And here's the question, are we individually and collectively the supernatural demonstration of who God is and the difference between him and the world? Because if they don't see it in us, what's the story? I hope this moves you. I hope that that something in you begins to at least be exposed to the possibility that maybe my life is supposed to be a demonstration of supernatural reality. And if it's not, I hope it can begin this morning. From verses 13 through 23 in John chapter 9, I'm not going to read those. The Pharisees began questioning this man who was healed. Saying, who did it? What did he say? Who was he? Who was this man that did this? In verses 24 through 29, after they have questioned his parents... They bring him back in again and they question him a second time to bring him to this response that we begin reading in John 9, verse 30. This man now healed says, Why, herein is a marvelous thing that you know not from whence he is. And yet he has opened my eyes. Now we know that God hears not sinners, but if any man be a worshiper of God and does his will, him he hears. Since the world began, was it not heard that any man opened the eyes of one that was born blind. If this man were not of God, he could do nothing. What a powerful testimony of one so newly healed, so newly transformed. But this statement is absolutely true. There's no scriptural record or no secular history of anyone that had been born blind having their sight restored at this time. This actually didn't happen until 1728 when there's a first recorded moment when someone who was born blind by a surgical procedure was whose sight was restored. So he's making an absolute true statement. To this point, think about this, to this point, what Jesus did had never been done before. What Jesus was able to do in this moment was absolutely brand new. Now this man who had known blindness from childhood, he was an absolute expert on blindness. If you wanted to know anything about blindness, you could ask him. If you wanted to know anything about what it was like to live blind, he knew it. He was an expert on his illness. He was an expert on his problem. He was an expert on his struggle. And because of that, he also was equally certain, because of the history, that there was absolutely no one who could change his story. He had no reason to hope. He had no reason to believe because it had never been done before that anyone could change his situation. He was an expert at it. He knew every detail of blindness. He also knew that there was no hope. No one could change his condition. Why do I bring it up? Because there are some people sitting here this morning who believe... That their situation is so unique, they are absolute experts on their struggle. Some of us sitting here are absolute experts on the struggle that we have been facing for many, many years. We can talk to you about loneliness. We can talk to you about desperation. We can talk to you about diseases. We can talk to you about addictions of any kind. Because there are people here who have struggled with them, know them well, and are experts and because of that have drawn the same conclusion that he drew that absolutely nothing can be done about my situation. I have lived with this for years. I've struggled with this for years. I have been addicted for years. I have had this problem for years. I've had this broken heart for years, and it is now how we even identify ourselves, believing what this man believed because we're such experts at our problem, that nothing can be done. And he was certain about it. The sad part is, because we know it so well and because we believe there is no hope, our only answer has been acceptance, making it somehow reasonable, and doing our best to cope with it. There's a message that I shared a few weeks ago, and this is absolutely true. God did not come so he could say, I have come to cope with the world. Those are not his words. His words are clear and they are specific. I have come to overcome. I don't know what your situation is. I don't know what your struggle is. I don't know what your addiction is. I don't know what you're facing. I don't know what what the broken heart. I don't know the things that have happened to you as children. I don't know those things, but God does. He has a message this morning that he's desperately trying to send you. He sent it to this man as, as he walked by and this man saw him. You notice this man didn't cry out. This man didn't sit there as, as some, as Bartimaeus did, and say, God, have mercy on me. This man didn't cry out. The question was prompted by the disciples. Who sinned? Did this man sin or did his parents sin? And Jesus said, my goodness, what a strange question. Neither he nor his parents sin. This is so that God can manifest himself in glory. Many here labor under the same conclusion that my situation is so unique and so peculiar that it's hopeless. I'll tell you this morning, it may be true that your situation is not like anybody else's. But if Jesus was willing this time to do something brand new for the first time, I want to tell you this morning, he's ready to do something brand new for you. There's absolutely nothing that Jesus this morning can't overcome. By the work of the Holy Spirit, there's nothing. There's one thing that was very powerful in this scripture, is that Jesus took great joy in relieving the struggle and awful conditions that people had given up on, where there was no hope. Remember the woman with the issue of blood who had been to every doctor, who had who spent all of her money, and just came and to touched the hem of his garment, and she was changed because Jesus loves changing those lives where there was absolutely no hope left. The man at the pool, he was desperate because he couldn't get to the pool first, and Jesus healed him. The man with his son, as Jesus came down off the Mount of Transfiguration, he says, they can't do anything about this. Can you do something? Can you heal my son? Can you stop this awfulness that's going on in his life? And Jesus loves those moments because it tells of his Father's glory into a broken world and suddenly this light is shining of the reality of who Jesus is, the reality of who God is, and what he desires to do on this earth then and on this earth now. He wants to do the same thing. He wants for you to demonstrate His power. He wants to take your story and absolutely overcome it so it brings glory and honor to God the Father by the work of the Holy Spirit so that the world will know that God is God by the supernatural reality. How else will they know that God is God if there's nothing supernatural and everything is natural? I want us to hear something this morning. I want want this to sink deep into us, that his mercy and his healing are not bound by any precedent. If it's never happened before, perfectly okay. This could be a morning of first. He has chosen by some great mystery to heal even those who the world has deemed hopeless and helpless and desperate. And you may not like this concept, but this is absolutely true. In our salvation, in my salvation, and in your salvation, we became a trophy. We became an outward symbol, the reality of God's great power to pardon and grace as to save us while we were yet sinners. And trophy's probably a bad word. I want this pes- message to come across loud and clear The minute that he changes you, the minute that he saves you by faith and by grace, you become the walking, talking evidence of the greatness of God. In that moment of our deliverance after salvation, but when when our lives are broken and we're suddenly delivered and restored, we become a trophy of his great power to restore and to rebuild even when our life had displayed nothing but brokenness. In our healing, we become a trophy of His great love and authority to make new that which was lost forgiven. I want to tell you, there's a day coming, and I don't hesitate for a minute to say it. He has shown it by revelation. He has given it with certainty. There's a day coming when John's going to stand and walk away from that cart. I believe nothing less. Because God's great love for His people say, on earth as it is in heaven... I want the earth to be the demonstration of my great power. I didn't come so that you could go to church. I came so that you could be my church, so that by my church the world would know how the manifold wisdom of God, that the world would know the manifold power of God, that the world would know the love of God, the kindness of God, the goodness of God, because if they don't see it in us, where are they going to look? If we're not the great trophy of God, The evidence of his power, the evidence that he won when he said on the cross it is finished. If we're not the trophy, who is? Who's he going to point to to say that this is my love, this is my grace, this is my mercy, this is my kindness, if he can't point to us? How do we step from where we are into the healing that he wants to offer? Our body is everything physical, get that in your mind. It allows me to be self-aware. It allows me to know when I'm hungry, to know when I'm thirsty, to know when I'm tired. My body gives me those signals. So the daily function of my body is to sense and to react. That's my body, everything physical. He also gave me a soul, everything mental and emotional. It's here that I become other aware. I'm self-aware in my, in my body. In my soul, I am aware of others. I share mental and emotional relationships with them. I make connections there in my soul. That's where friendships are formed. That's where relationships are formed. That's where we connect. He also gave us the spirit. That spirit is everything spiritual and supernatural. It's here that I become aware of God. The minute that we are saved, that which was dead comes to life. My body was already alive, my soul was already alive, but my spirit was dead because of the sin that had been committed by Adam and Eve who passed on to me a sin nature so that my spirit was dead. The minute I'm saved, my spirit comes back to life. By the spirit, we are God-aware, and it's in the spirit that we watch and listen. In our body, we sense. In our soul, we think and feel. In our spirit, we watch and listen in our soul, and in our our body. That's called the flesh. According to Scripture, my understanding, when you lump soul and body together, that's the flesh that the Bible talks about. The flesh is the place of our broken hearts. The flesh is the place of our disappointment. The flesh is the place where we ride on roller coasters as things get better and get worse. The flesh is also the place of treadmills because this is where Satan creates the treadmills that we run on. Every morning we step on, trying to solve our problems, trying to overcome our difficulties, trying to break our addictions, trying to overcome the struggles that we face. And every day we run hard against those things, knowing that we're broken, and every night we get off in exactly the same place, having nothing really accomplished except the weariness that we feel through all the effort that got nothing done. He knows something. If I can keep you busy in your soul. You'll never take that short step into the spirit because it's in the spirit we find healing. It's in the spirit we find those things that are unconditional. We find in the spirit unconditional love, unconditional kindness, unconditional goodness. There's an arrow that takes us out of the flesh and into the spirit. That arrow is faith. Asking God to do something that I have tried hard to do but cannot do. I can't save myself. By faith, I left my flesh, went into the Spirit, and God performed a transaction on my behalf, and He saved me in the Spirit. Every day when I come to Him, realizing that this is a life I cannot live, I wake with that prayer on my lips, morning after morning. God, You've set before me a day I cannot live, but You never asked me to. You gave me the Holy Spirit in me to live this life through me that I have no chance of living. Every day we go into that spirit to find the provision of God for this day. And because of that, because we go into the spirit, our life becomes the evidence of something supernatural and something powerful. Church has taught us to trust our mind and to trust our emotions. as God's saying, please don't trust those things. They're too unstable. Trust me. Trust the spirit of God. Trust my voice. Faith comes by hearing. Gerund, Hearing. Present tense, continuing, God made us so that our faith would be the evidence of the fact that we can hear. And then it says, and that by every word, rhema, that proceeds from the mouth of God. Not logos, rhema word, new word, fresh word that comes from the mouth of God, the rhema word. That's how we have faith. This morning, God is asking, will you, can you, in this frustration of the flesh, Can you leave the self-effort, leave the the decisions that you're making trying to be good, trying to be better, trying to be whole, trying to be healed on your own? I can tell you, I'm I'm a master at this. I'm this kind of guy that says if there's a problem, I'm big enough to take it on. If there's a challenge, I'm big enough. I want to tell you, Calvin asked me yesterday, how's your diet going? Poor question. That which I started a few months ago with such determination, guess where it is today? I started over this morning. As of about midnight, I'm on a new diet. 11.59, I was still eating Halloween candy. (laughs) At 12 o'clock, something brand new. I'm starting over. I know the futility of my effort. I know what my determination will get me, and it won't be very far. But this I do know often. There have been major struggles in my life and I've shared those with you. The minute that I left my flesh and went into the spirit, God says, I will perform a transaction on your behalf and I will heal you and make you whole. We access it by faith. It's true. Your lives have been the evidence of this reality. The minute that you'll leave your flesh, step into the spirit, God will do what you have no chance of doing. This is from Psalm 147. This is a psalm of Ezra. The temple had been built. The city was still in a mess. But they began to sing praise because what God has done. He says this. Praise ye the Lord for it is good to sing praises unto our God. He heals the broken in heart. He binds up our wounds. He even knows the number of the stars in heaven. He calls them by their name. Great is our Lord and of great power. I found it interesting that he holds these two things side by side. God, who knows the stars and knows them by name, that God, who has that power, that intimacy with the heavens, desires this morning to heal your broken heart. He has a desire to bind up your wounds, to restore you this morning, and heal you. Most gracious Heavenly Father, there's broken hearts this morning and there's struggles that have just been around way too long. This is the day of freedom. This is the day of healing. Let it come freely. Let it come openly. Let people just come. Share what there's on their heart. Share that little bit of their story and let someone here release healing into their life. They're standing here ready. You've made them ready. Let those come. Let the walls be broken down and let them come. Whether they know anybody here or not, it does not matter. This is a day of healing. In Jesus' name.